Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest ERX podcast. My name is Simon Johnson, and I'm joined by my colleague Rob Ray Jones today. We run ERX Scenarios, which is one of our longest running services with over 60 subscribers currently contributing to the community. Today's podcast will take a deeper look at the ERX Scenarios library and consider some of the findings from this year's submission. We will then hand over to the ERX News team who will be going through the top five largest operational risk losses from last month and covering cyber events. First though, we just wanted to tell you a little bit more about ERX Scenarios. So the service has three main elements to it. The first is networking through monthly working groups, the annual forum, in-depth discussions and training sessions. We give subscribers the opportunity to learn from one another. Secondly, we look to enhance practice through our comprehensive practice benchmark surveys, our scenario development handbooks, and our leading practice papers. Finally, we house a confidential scenario library consisting of the most material scenarios from our subscribers, which provides information and inspiration for institutions looking to develop new scenarios. I'm just gonna hand over to Rob now, who will tell you a little bit more about the scenarios library. Thank you, Simon. So one of the key aims of the library is, is for it to be a dynamic and evolving tool. And so maintaining it to make sure that it remains aligned to current exposures is really important. So to do that, we refresh it annually. The cycle begins in the spring and ends with publication of the new library in the summer. And over the course of that time, we we ask all subscribers to upload their most material scenarios to the platform. Most will upload somewhere between 12 and 16 scenarios. So in terms of total volume, we're looking at somewhere around 800 scenarios for the library as a whole. And for each scenario, we ask subscribers to complete a number of fields. So things like storyline, risk drivers, financial and non-financial impacts, and the control environment. Many of these are restricted fields that are aligned to RX standards. And that's a big part of ensuring that the data is of good quality and standardized as far as possible. Once we've received and QA'd all the uploads, we, we then publish the library for subscribers to then download and use for their internal purposes. As well as downloading the entire library, they can also generate reports to compare their portfolio of uploaded scenarios against their peers. And what they can also do is benchmark specific fields of uploaded scenarios against those of other similar organizations. And those fields are severity, likelihood, risk drivers, and financial impacts. Thank you, Rob. So having given you a bit of background to the scenario library, we thought we could tell you a little bit more about what the 2022 Scenario Library is telling us. I think the first thing to say is that institutions continue to focus on a core set of scenarios, which is similar to previous years. So the common scenarios in our library cover conduct, information security, transaction processing and execution, and fraud, and that's both internal and external fraud. However, the scenarios within the library are developing to reflect the current dynamic landscape which is described in our risk landscape reports. So Rob, if we start off by looking at conduct, how are the conduct scenarios that we are seeing in the library developing? So we're seeing um, quite a range of conduct scenarios and they cover themes that are all in some way interrelated, whether that's technological change, macroeconomic challenges, uh, the cost of living crisis, staff attrition, hybrid working, regulatory change. So a whole range of interconnected trends. 
In terms of uh, specific storylines, what we're seeing is that these are evolving and increasingly they're covering things like staff attrition. So that's challenges in retaining knowledge and the impact that can have on, on risk culture more generally within an institution, but also evolving workforce models. So for example, reduced visibility or oversight of staff as a result of working from home and the challenge of adapting the control environment to those new remote working practices. Another theme we're seeing is the global economic downturn, which can lead, for example, to economic hardship, to instances of staff defrauding and deceiving their organisation for monetary gain, but also the regulatory landscape, and that's the rapidly changing regulatory obligations in the conduct space. And finally, digitalization. And that's the, the manifestation of, of, say, product or technological flaws that can result, for example, from product or platform design being rushed to keep up with competitors. Thank you, Rob. And the second most common risk is information security, including cyber, which is also the number one risk in our most recent top risk review. And it's a risk which is rapidly evolving and influenced by, among other factors, geopolitical instability, rapid internal digitalization projects, third and nth party reliance, and emerging technologies. And this is all becoming apparent in the scenario library through increasing storylines on the evolving cyber threat. So we're seeing increasing storylines on increasing nation state involvement and growing commoditization of ransomware as a service. Also around the widening attack service. So things like legacy systems, digitalization programs, increasingly regular remote working and a growing reliance on third and subsequent parties to deliver critical services. We're also seeing storylines on safeguarding data as well. So data breaches that are impacting institutions, reputation and customer and stakeholder confidence. It's also interesting to consider how the pace of digital change is likely to impact scenarios in the coming years as institutions consider how the use of AI and in the longer term APIs, robotics, quantum computing, open banking and digital currencies, among others, impact their business and customer needs. These developments will also likely be incorporated into new and current scenarios impacting risk profiles, business continuity plans and third party arrangements. I think this is probably a good point to highlight a key theme that transcended through the library and that is of interconnectivity. We've heard that institutions are increasingly viewing the risk landscape as a set of interconnected risks And Rob, I believe we're beginning to see that in the scenario library as well. Yes, we're certainly starting to see hints of that. So, for example, in this year's cycle, we saw that over 25% of the scenarios that were submitted included three or more risk drivers. And we expect that to continue and even intensify in the coming years. Another sign of this is that there are risks in the library like fraud, or transaction processing that are both drivers of and driven by other prominent risks like information security and conduct. And we can also see this interconnectivity in a range of recurring storyline themes that seem to be impacting and driving the five most prevalent risks in the library. And that's themes like the changing internal operating environment, the dynamic external environment, uh, the evolving cyber threat, or technological change. Yeah, thank you, Rob. So to round up today's podcast, I thought we could touch on a couple of other themes that are of high priority right now. The first one is resilience. 
And whilst the library doesn't explicitly capture resilient scenarios, elements of operational resilience related scenarios are found throughout the library. For instance, within the scenario library, there are a number of scenarios covering severe disruptions, so for example, pandemic or natural disasters, which when combined account for about 6% of the total library. Operational resilience challenges are also embedded in some cyber and vendor failure scenarios, with storylines detailing the impact of unprecedented disruption from malicious actors on critical infrastructure. We expect that submitted scenarios will continue to address resilience-like events, so earthquakes, pandemics, attacks on critical services. And in addition, as institutions further their operational resilience initiatives and the use of traditional operational risk scenarios widens, there is a likelihood to be an opportunity for both functions to collaborate on scenario developments, leading to more multi-layered scenarios as part of an increasingly efficient and streamlined scenario process. The other theme to highlight is climate. Physical climate change is included in the library by subscribers using the natural disaster scenario category or within physical security and safety, technology and third party scenarios where climate impacts are detailed in storylines. However, climate is rarely explicitly labelled as a risk driver in the current scenarios within the library. Additionally, there are very few transition risk scenarios currently in the library reflecting the challenges in developing those scenarios and questions over their materiality. However, climate-related scenarios, both physical and transition, are expected to become more prominent and categorised as such in the library from 2023 as data becomes more readily available. So, Rob, my final question to you. Do you have any thoughts on how we might see the scenarios in the library developing over the next couple of cycles? Yes, so I, I think there are three potential developments that really stand out. Firstly, we could see scenarios evolving to capture the interconnectedness of the risk landscape that we touched on earlier. Secondly, I think we could also see increasing numbers of scenarios being developed to cover emerging risk themes like geopolitical change, uh, evolving cyber threats, the, the use of emerging technologies, uh, data management and governance risks, and also those climate change risks, and that's both physical and transition risk. And finally, I think we could also see scenarios drawing more and more on information from other functions like resilience or other programs like risk appetite, because what we're seeing increasingly is scenario practitioners looking to integrate knowledge, data and techniques from other areas of the business as the use of scenarios widens. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Now, I think that wraps up the scenarios section of this podcast. So I think it just leaves me to say thank you for listening and thank you to Rob for your time and your insights. Thank you, Simon. If you want to find the full report that accompanies this podcast, it's available for members and subscribers on our member-only website and will be publicly available at urx.org, where you can also find our other reports and outputs. Rob and my details are on the web pages accompanying this report and on the podcast show notes. So if you would like to talk about any of the findings from the report or discuss more generally the work we do in the Scenarios community, then we would be very happy to have a chat. I will now hand over to Lily and the RX News team for a look at the latest operational risk news. Hello and welcome. My name is Lily Richardson. I'm the RX News Manager. And in case you haven't heard of RX News, we're a subscription service from RX, which covers publicly reported operational risk loss events in the financial sector from across the globe. 
Now, I'd like to introduce Fern, the RX News Assistant Manager for Editorial. Thank you, Lily. Hi, everyone. In this month's episode, we'll take a brief look at the top five largest losses from October 2022. All losses are reported in US dollars. We are also going to focus on a series of cyber-related data breaches, which led to regulatory changes in Australia. And lastly, we're going to touch on some findings from the ORX Cyber Service regarding data on cyber events. For this podcast, I'm joined by the news researchers, Stanka and Joseph. Over to you, Joseph, for the top five. Thanks, Fern. In fifth, we have Customers Bank's $23 million agreement with online lender Cabbage over its failure to provide fee payments for loans issued and serviced by the company. At number four, US regulators announced settlements totaling $29.3 million with virtual currency exchange Bitrex over breaches of multiple sanctions programs and AML contraventions. In October's third largest loss, Barclays was fined $56.1 million by the FCA for failing to disclose certain fee arrangements agreed with Qatari entities during its financial crisis era fundraising. In second is Binance, who lost about $100 million to a hack on its decentralized blockchain, BNB Chain. The largest loss is attributed to Credit Suisse. The bank announced it would pay $234.6 million to settle charges by French authorities that it had illegally solicited clients and helped them evade taxes and launder money. Thanks, Joseph. And now to our first story. Data from the ORX Cyber Service shows that over half of cyber events are confidentiality events, implying that data was either observed by or disclosed to unauthorized actors. And that's exactly what we've seen in Australia recently. It's been a turbulent month for Aussie firms and regulators alike, as they've dealt with the fallout from the largest data breaches in the country's history. The first victim was Optus, the Australian arm of Singapore Telecommunications, or Singtel. They were hit in late September in a ransomware attack that affected as many as 10 million customers. And that's basically over 40% of Australia's population hit in one attack. Optus CEO said that the cyber attack was sophisticated and the hacker's IP address kept moving between various countries in Europe. According to The Australian, A senior Optus insider told ABC that human error may have played a part in the incident. They went on to say that the error may have happened when a programmer tried to connect a customer identity database to other systems via the firm's API. While it was believed that connecting databases would only grant access to authorized systems, hackers may have gained access via test network which happened to have internet access. The BBC later reported that the hacker claimed to have scraped the data from a freely accessible software interface. Following the attack, the hacker demanded a ransom, threatening to leak the stolen data if the company didn't pay them $1 million in cryptocurrency. They also said that after the ransom deadline, They were prepared to sell the sole ownership of the entire data for $1 million or a copy of the data set for $300,000 each. 
In a bizarre turn of events, the hacker withdrew their ransom demand, but not before releasing the data of over 10,000 customers because Optus refused to pay the ransom. This spurred authorities to take action. The Australian Federal Police was reportedly taking measures, including covert techniques, to identify criminal activity. This was done as part of Operation Guardian, a cross-agency effort that also included all Australian state and territory police, the Australian Cyber Security Centre, the Australian Banking Association, ID Care, and the Customer-Owned Banking Association. The task force barely had time to catch their breath before two more cyber attacks occurred, one at Woolworth subsidiary MyDeal and the other one at private insurer Medibank around the 13th of October. The MyDeal breach affected some 2.2 million customers, and it was initially thought a similar number were impacted by the breach at Medibank. However, it was later revealed that the hacker had accessed a staggering 9.7 million customers' data. That's all of the insurer's 5.1 million Australian customers, 1.8 million international customers, and 2.8 million AHM customers. It's a well-known fact that sensitive data in the wrong hands may lead to serious consequences, such as phishing attacks. Data collected by the ORX Cyber Service shows phishing as one of the most common attack typologies. These data breaches also serve as further ammunition for cyber gangs. Scamwatch released an update on scams already using the compromised data and many involved phishing. For example, impacted customers received fraudulent text messages and emails claiming to be either from Optus or the government. Scamwatch also reported remote access scams with hackers encouraging victims to download malware that would allow them access to victims' devices. And phone scams, with the threat actors calling customers to falsely offer them identity rectification services. But the Australian government was quick to react to these cyber incidents. As early as October 22nd, the government announced it would introduce legislation that significantly increased penalties for repeated or serious privacy breaches. The amendment would increase the maximum penalties from the current penalty of 2.22 million Australian dollars to whichever was the greater of 50 million Australian dollars, three times the value of any benefit obtained through the misuse of information, or 30% of a company's turnover in the relevant period. The Australian Information Commissioner would also have its powers increased. The bill was passed on November 9th, and later Medibank was also included in the remit of Operation Guardian. Hopefully, this prompts firms to re-evaluate their cybersecurity practices. As it's often the case, there is not a lot of information on how or why either of these breaches occurred, but there has clearly been serious lapses. For example, it took Medibank several days to realize that any customers had been affected and around three weeks to determine how many. It seems the hacker spent about a month in Medibank systems after accessing them via a virtual private network or VPN. The one laudable thing about Medibank is their comprehensive assistance program for impacted customers. It includes financial support, free identity monitoring services, reimbursement of fees for the reissue of compromised identity documents, identity protection advice, and crucially, a mental health and well-being support line. However, it's worth noting that the insurer did not have cybersecurity insurance at the time of the hack, so they're paying for all of this out of pocket. 
The costs are expected to rise to between 25 and 35 million Australian dollars, not including remediation and legal fees. That's a lot of money, but nowhere near Singtel's provision of 140 million Australian dollars. This was expected to cover an external independent review, third-party credit monitoring services, and the replacement of identification documents where needed. Thank you, Stanka and Joseph. And for our December episode, we'll focus on the top five largest losses of 2022 and take a deep dive into the events which led to those losses. Now, over to you, Lily. I hope you enjoyed listening to this month's podcast. If you'd like to know more about the top five losses, then please visit the Rx website, where you can find the top five losses for each month, as well as a range of up-risk reports and resources. You can also read the full digest for each of the stories discussed in this episode on the Rx website. Just search rx.org. Join us next time to hear next month's top five losses. Thank you. Thank you.